Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Hello and welcome to New Books and Art. I'm Lorena Turner. I'm a photographer and a lecturer in the Communication Department at California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California. Recently, I had the chance to talk with Kevin Bubriski about his new book, Look Into My Eyes, Nuevo Mexicanos por Vida, 1981-1983, published by the Museum of New Mexico Press. Kevin is a photojournalist and documentary photographer. He's the author of seven previous books of photography, including Pilgrimage, Looking at Ground Zero, Nepal, 1975-2011, as well as a catalog of Michael Rockefeller's New Guinea photos from 1961. Kevin and I talked at length about his new book, as well as how he uses Instagram and what it means to work as a photographer in a situation in which you're an outsider. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, welcome to New Books in Art. Today I'm talking with Kevin Bubriski. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Oh, thank you, Lorena. It's wonderful to uh, be speaking with you. Oh, thank you. So you have a new book called New Mexico 1981 to 1983, which was recently published by the Museum of New Mexico Press. And I was hoping you could start by telling us a little bit about your education and your influences and your formation as a photographer. Okay. Um, I just want to say that the title of the book is uh, Look Into My Eyes. Nuevo Mexicanos por Vida, 81 to 83. And, uh, you know, the, the photographs are quite, uh, I guess you could say they're vintage at this point. They go back to the early 1980s. And, um, you know, I was in the Peace Corps in Nepal right after college in the late 1970s. And after the Peace Corps experience in Nepal, working in remote mountain villages, all I wanted to do was uh, tell the story of what I saw in these very uh, impoverished, food deficit, but beautiful places. And so I wanted to study film, and that's what brought me to New Mexico. I became a student at the Anthropology Film Center on Upper Canyon Road in Santa Fe. Sure. And, and that was my entry into New Mexico. 
Wow. And, and did you, so, so that program is like a year, I think, if I remember correctly, is that correct? A year or two uh, years? Right. Well, I was at the Anthropology Film Center just for a semester, mm-hmm. and uh, it could be it could have been a two-year program if I'd done the full master's in visual anthropology at Temple University. Mm-hmm. But but what happened was um, I realized that working in film was back in the '80s was a very difficult process. It required a uh, renting 16 millimeter equipment, a Nagra, you know, high-end, expensive sound recording equipment. It was before uh, handheld video cameras, way before. And so I defaulted to still photography. And uh, that's what I'd been doing, you know, just as a Peace Corps volunteer. And so in New Mexico, I ended up very quickly uh, working in uh, the photo business uh, as a photojournalist, as a documentary photographer, uh, both in Albuquerque and Santa Fe, and then also doing fine art printing for the French photographer Bernard Plossou, and um, and then picking up assignment work as well. Uh, I remember I did fashion shoots um, for a publication way back then even. Wow. <laughs> was that, were you, were you, was it a publication that was based in New Mexico or you were based in New Mexico and just shooting for different publications around the country? Uh, yeah, I was based in New Mexico and, uh, the fashion shooting I did was, you know, this was a, a tabloid-sized newsprint uh, art publication coming out of Santa Fe and Taos and Albuquerque. But the most of my work is very much about looking at what is a daily life in New Mexico. And uh, New Mexico still, Santa Fe still, is a very lively center for photography, as as it was in the early 80s. So you know, I'd come out of Peace Corps and was put into this environment where there were so many people to learn from, people working with uh, large view cameras. Elliot Porter was around doing his beautiful color landscapes. Wow. And um, Bill Clift, uh, Paul Caponica, all kinds of people were, were doing really important work. So it was a good, very supportive environment. Wow, that's fantastic. That's a fantastic place to, to kind of get a start and, and um, really kind of shape your understanding of what photography can be or could be at that time. Right, yeah. What was interesting is the book um, that came out this year, uh, The Look Into My Eyes, it's all 35 millimeter, you know, on the street encounter kind of photography. And uh, what I did start using the view camera in New Mexico, you know, doing some portraits and landscapes. But then in 1984, I brought the view camera to Nepal and uh, and worked pretty consistently over six years covering all different regions of Nepal with the view camera. And um, and so that was work that came after the New Mexico work. Wow. Well, let's talk about um, look into my eyes a little bit more. So, so the book is uh, it's it's all black and white film photos that were taken in this time period that the book encompasses. So, nineteen eighty one to nineteen eighty three, and um, and I'd like to know a little bit about kind of your process uh, in terms of how you went into situations, how you chose the situations that you photographed. And then what it is that you were looking for? Well, I'm, I'm a, a curious person. And uh, I, in my little bio squib where I teach up at Greenmont College in Vermont, I 
I say uh, that I'm a tourist in my backyard, even though I go all over the place. And, um, and I think that's the way I was in New Mexico. You know, that was my home for those years. Um, but I took every opportunity I could to make photographs. And um, if there was a fiesta in Santa Fe or Española or Chimayo or El Rito, I would try and get there. And, uh, of course, I was a, a young guy on a very limited budget, and um, especially while I was doing freelance work. So sometimes it was a matter of, did I have money to buy film? Did I have money to buy gas to get to where I wanted to get to? Um, and then and then get there and watch and look and be an observer. And, um, and then slowly, with the camera, uh, entering into uh, whatever event I was photographing. And, um, and that's always interesting. You know, the camera, in many ways, is the reason um, that I wander into places. And it can also uh, open doors for me. And, and then what I also find with the camera is that um, I linger longer. Um, whether I'm photographing a landscape or people or an event, um, I spend more time because I'm a photographer, because I want to see it more thoroughly than just sort of passing by. And um, the photos, uh, there's a lot of portraits in the book, and there's a sense of intimacy, and I have to admit that most of the people in the book I don't know. Um, the, in Chimayo, I got to know many people quite well there through a, a filmmaker, uh, Pancho Lane, who I was working with at the time. Uh, but a lot of the photos are just uh, a result of the initial encounter. And again, my seeing something beautiful in the person I choose to photograph and then situating myself uh, in a way to to frame and compose the image to to bring out that beauty that I see there. Mm-hmm. I'm always really interested in that moment of like the encounter between the photographer and his or her subject. And I'm wondering if I mean I see in your book a variety of different. I, I'm reading them as different responses, kind of from the the person or the subject in your frame. And I'm wondering if there is a way that you approach or in this particular body of work, if you approached, um, if there's a way that you approached the people you were photographing that kind of, uh, you you were thinking particular things perhaps that kind of allowed them to open up to you or to maybe not be so open to you um, in the, in the experience of taking those pictures. Yeah, every photographic encounter is uh, different, although if, if one is a photographer and does it routinely, then, you know, there are certain, um, certain ways that you understand the experience uh, falls into something familiar that you've been through already. Some of the young people I photographed were, you know, maybe not reluctant so much to be photographed as, mm. as surprised why I was paying attention to them. Really? That's very and, interesting. Yeah, the, um, you know, there's one picture of, uh, or there's a couple pictures of people in their cars, and one is taken at a fiesta in El Rito, and the, all the car doors are open because the car is on display. It's like a, it's a, right. a float, you could say. Right. And so everybody in the car and the car are on display. They're, um, they're strutting, you know, they're voguing the car. Right. And, and so that's pretty easy, you know, um, yeah, they're, 
they're there to be seen, and the photographer uh, is welcome uh, to help share that that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are some others where I would approach, I would just see some striking-looking guy or several people in a car, and I would just express them. I'd say, hey, you know, I, I really would like to take your picture. You guys look great. This is really interesting. And sometimes there's a little bit of apprehension or surprise, but, but people also, when they're in their car, uh, they're being, it's public, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm in a public place usually. And so, um, and so it's pretty much uh, a very uh, quick uh, understanding. And a lot of it is just purely visual, you know, um, yeah. an encounter uh, by eye, uh, body language and eye contact, not so much long conversation. Right, right. And I'm, I'm, that's very, very interesting. I mean, I get a sense of that, you know, like the, there's – you know, a little bit of kind of guard that comes up sometimes in certain situations that's that's palpable in the photos and some of the portraits for sure. And I, I love that. I love that as a place, the the car, um, what would you call it? Kind of the car, the car show, like where people are showing off their cars like you just described. Right. Yeah. They, um, I love at, any, that. at any given parade, uh, oh. whether you're in New England or New Mexico um, you know, you'll see vintage cars and fire engines and people on horses. And, and so it's the same growing up in New England or being in New Mexico, photographing such things. Quite often, more often than not, people are flattered that they've been chosen by the photographer to, uh, to be of interest. Right. Um, and so that works in the photographer's favor greatly. Um, you know, one thing, when I was taking these pictures, Back in the 80s, you know, most of my friends were photographing the landscape or photographing what what we consider, you know, kind of the standard, uh, the standards of what is beautiful in photography. Mm -hmm. And I was just really interested in this, uh, what struck me as a different uh, cultural milieu than what I knew as a New Englander being in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I really, truly found lots of beauty in it. And the, not just the visual beauty, but the beauty of community, the beauty of uh, music at a fiesta or at a parade or at a wedding. And so that's what I, that's what I was out to photograph in my work, was mm-hmm. to, uh, to show something I felt was overlooked. And that's, what I was, that's why I wanted to go back to Nepal with a view camera to um, give voice and, give it, and make images of these people who live in extreme hardship, you know, with constant perennial food deficits and lack of clothing and uh, lack of opportunity. And so with New Mexico, it was really more capturing something I found curious and beautiful and intriguing and lively, you know, mm-hmm. just a lot of vitality. Mm-hmm. You and I share a similar a similarity in that we are both from New England and we both went to New Mexico. I went to New Mexico to study photography at the university about 10 years after you were there taking these pictures for this book. And I had really had never, I'd never been say West of the Mississippi before. And when I went to New Mexico, I found it to be an incredible, like I, I found, I, I think I found the landscape to be incredible and I found the culture to be incredible. And it was really the first time where I had seen the convergence of multiple cultures um, and how it, 
like kind of impacted people and how they kind of embraced those kind of intersections. And I really appreciate your book for that because I can see some of, you know, a little bit of like Mexican culture, a little bit of things that I associate with that are uniquely New Mexican and some various other things, you know, elements of the time of the early 80s kind of imprinted upon the way people see themselves and represent themselves outwardly to themselves and to each other. And I'm wondering if did you have you returned to these to these particular towns and have you thought about uh, have you have you returned to these towns and revisited these places and the people uh, since then? I I have in limited fashion. Um, two summers ago, I had a, a show of my Nepal work at the Verve Gallery in Santa Fe, and um, and I brought out the book dummy um, from the 1980s and showed it to Anna Gallegos at the Museum of New Mexico Press in Santa Fe. And she and Lisa Pacheco and everybody else at the press just fell in love with the work and said, ah, you know, this is wonderful. Let's see what we can do. Um, so, you know, that was a chance to be back in New Mexico, summer of 1984. And then I was back in New Mexico just briefly for about a week in uh, – spring of uh, this spring for the book release. And so that gave me an opportunity to be in Albuquerque a bit, uh, go to Garcia's Kitchen for breakfast and share a copy of the book with uh, everybody who works there. And then also going up to Chimayo and uh, left a book there for everybody to uh, have a look at. Great. And, um, and yeah, the you know, New Mexico goes on and we hear about difficulties, you know, with all the social problems uh, that people in New Mexico have, well, we have all those same exact problems here in Vermont. And so that's not what interests me so much as what, um, as I say, the, the cultural vitality and the spirit of the people that is pretty much the same from the 80s till now. You know, young people, boyfriends and girlfriends, people... Um, hanging out, the cars, everything goes on mm -hmm. from the little experience I had, you know, in uh, recent visits out there. Um, the hairstyles may be a little different. Mm -hmm. The clothing <laughs> styles may be a little different. But mm -hmm. the smiles, the togetherness, the sense of um, a guy with his girl or a girl with her guy, the groupings, the families, all that seemed very much the same. And I did spend uh, a Saturday at Chimayo when I was there back in, in uh, March. And uh, the Santuario de Chimayo, you know, there's more parking lot area. Uh, there's more gift shops. There's more mm. people selling oysters of chili peppers, et cetera, craftsmen, artists. But, uh, but it's still the same. And, um, and you still have that same, I still felt that same powerful spiritual presence in the Santuario. Mm -hmm. And um, and I made some photographs I really liked that day, too, um, around Chimayo. So I think that um, while a, a lot had changed over three and a half decades, um, there, you know, the, the roots and uh, uh, embodiment of the culture is still strong and, and the same. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I also, I also, uh, you know, in my own observation and what I can see in your book, too, um, uh, I I really appreciate the way the the landscape of New Mexico informs it informs a lot and informs the way people interact with each other. It kind of informs 
you know, certain, the way, the way people have relationships, um, and, and it's, you know, it's very harsh, it's very flat in places, it's also very beautiful, and the light can be kind of overwhelming at times. And I feel like, even though you may not, you haven't described this at all, but I feel like when I look at your, your, the images in your book, that there is, there is that awareness, that you are aware of the landscape of New Mexico, and how people kind of um, behave in that space. Yeah, the, um, speaking of the landscape, you know, it, it's interesting. I'll wander all through Nepal for months at a time back in the 80s and come back with hundreds of portraits and, and so few pictures of the big mountain landscape. And I think that's probably true of the way I photographed uh, in New Mexico in the early 80s. I'm looking at one image at the beginning of the book of Truchis, and it, um, there's an old vehicle. I don't know my vehicle names, mm-hmm. so I'll just call it a beautiful old car with fins. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's perched below a big telephone pole, and beyond that is a cross. And then there's uh, sort of a strata of clouds. And, um, and yeah, you get a powerful sense of the landscape from that image. And then the last image in the book, uh, Leroy Perea is walking down Nambe Road toward Chimayo on Holy Thursday back in 1981. And, and that's all about the landscape as well and how small he looks on the, on the empty open road carrying the cross over his shoulder. And, um, and so, yeah, I do let the landscape into the pictures. And as you say, maybe the landscape is read through, uh, through the pictures of everything else, through the, the images of the people who, who inhabit the landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the portraits, you know, even now in um, 2016 being in Santa Fe and uh, especially at the, some of the functions, the public events at the Verve Gallery, uh, lots of people came uh, from the Hispanic New Mexico community who'd seen, uh, you know, pieces in the newspaper, and and they were so appreciative of the photographs because um, they said that uh, very often they felt that culturally they were overlooked, and these photographs really put them front and center and and did it in a in a way that was very presentable and and uh, showed a lot of respect. And I, I thought that that was really remarkable that um, you know that there was that that good uh, response to the images. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I I, I in either in um, the formal introduction to the book or your own um, kind of personal introduction in the book. I I I think I read something. I remember reading something along those lines and was really struck, really struck by that. I hadn't I think uh, hadn't really thought about how. Uh, I guess few representations of people of New Mexico um, there really are. I guess I, I guess I just took it for granted that that it was a a place and a population that was you know like the, that photographers kind of turned their cameras towards. But I, but but apparently not. <laughs> apparently not. Apparently you're you're unique in that. Oh, I I, I know by no means unique. I'm sure there are all kinds of people doing brilliant work and we just have a hard time uh, maybe finding finding it yeah Yeah. Yeah. i mean i i've spent many i'll I'll say decades you know trying to get my work out to where people see it and um and i and i still do that you know i'm I'm making new work and i'm and i'm going into my archive and uh and bringing uh sort of buried 
pieces of the archive to light as well. I think that's what's remarkable about about the new social media landscape is that um, you can go into your Instagram or uh, I, I use Instagram a lot and you can you can kind of find something. You can find um, photographs from a certain part of the world and, um, and all of a sudden have access to all these individual young photographers working out there who you would otherwise have no access to. Uh, in Nepal, I'll be working in Nepal this coming year with a lot of young photographers. And um, there's an vi- incredibly vibrant, talented, brilliant community of young photographers in Nepal. And they don't really need a Kevin Bubrisky or anybody coming from elsewhere in the world to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the brilliance of, of the way technology has changed and the way social media has um, created a new interface between, between people and technology. And their ability to represent their culture and, and, as you, and share it with this giant, huge global audience who's very... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, there probably are groups doing very wonderful and great work out in New Mexico. There certainly are so many places all over the world. You know, you can, um, through Instagram, go to Everyday Africa or Everyday India or Everyday Iran and and just see the, po- the images that people hashtag and post to those uh, to those venues on on Instagram. And all of a sudden you have access to all kinds of young people's creative work and and middle aged and elder people too. You know, it's mm-hmm. social media is very democratic. <laughs> it is. I, and I, I just a little question about your own Instagram, and then I, I want to come back to your book. Do you use your Instagram, which which I follow you on Instagram, so I should know the answer to this question. But but given that I see so many images in a given day, it's hard to keep you know whose work is what straight. Do you use your Instagram to show your like images that you're taking on a regular basis, or do you also incorporate kind of some of your old images, older images, in your Instagram as well? Yeah, I I usually put brand new images on Instagram. You know, things I shoot with the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And then when the book came out, I, I ran um, photos from the book for, for about a week, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I travel elsewhere, I, I post images from there as well. So, yeah, it's both um, a way to bring out things from the archive as well as um, show where I am and what I'm doing. So let's talk about the process of editing your book, because I'm sure I think you're, the way that I'm seeing your book as a PDF, it's... Uh, it says it's 70 pages, so that means it's about 140 pages, which means you probably have around 70 to 80 images, I'm guessing. You, I mean, you'll know it. You know exactly how many images are in the book. What, what was the, the kind of the scope of the, the number of images that you started with, and how did you bring that down to a manageable number for the book? Good question. Um, and it goes right back to 1983. As I was shooting the work uh, into spring of 1983 and planning to head back to the East Coast. I was working with um, my friend Marilyn Garcia, and uh, we were best of friends uh, those months, and and she was a wonderful graphic designer. And so um, it was really just a fun process those months to to make the decisions on what which photos came up to the surface as the strongest ones. And there were about 80 or so that uh, made the final cut and uh, I think it was back in May of 1983 that together we did the layout 
and um, and the sequence. Wow. And then that became um, a little, you know, I put it into a little artist book, you know, photocopies, and then glued them into an empty artist sketchbook. And then um, didn't do anything with it until I went out to New Mexico two years ago in 2014 and met with uh, the Museum of New Mexico Press people. I pretty much took exactly what I'd done with Marilyn back in 1983 and handed that over to the museum press. And then David Skulkin took that and fine-tuned it into the beautiful book design that it is now. But really, you know, that was a book that was ready to go back, <laughs> back in 1983. And I just didn't know who to take it to. And I didn't have the, um, you know, I just didn't have the resources to make it happen back then. That, that's a pretty unique, unique experience, you know, to, to have, so to have a book that you kind of created in terms of editing and order around the time that you took the images and kind of it's so so it's almost like we're getting a time capsule not just of your visual thinking but also you know in the way that you took the photos but then also how you wanted them represented that's really remarkable yeah that's the way it happened you know we knew that um the cover image of the of the young girl with the a bit of white uh, makeup on her face and heavy um lipstick and the way she's uh, captured within the, the car window, we knew that's the cover. Mm-hmm. And then we knew that Leroy Perea carrying the cross down Nambe Road was the last image. And that was just very clear. Uh, and then, and then you know, uh, the sequencing went sort of from Chimayo and then other uh, village town areas and then ending up in Albuquerque at San Gabriel Park, which uh, back then, I don't know about now, but back then that was kind of like the the focal point for a lot of the um, the young lowrider, uh, young people's uh, culture. Did the people you were photographing, did they perceive of you as a cultural outsider? This is a great question, and I, it's one that I think about but don't have any answers for. Um, I was definitely not of their specific culture. I, you know, I'm not a Hispanic New Mexican this guy from New England. But, but you know, at the time I was young. I was in my uh, mid to late 20s, and, um, and I certainly didn't have a nice big old... No, actually, at that point I was driving a Chevy Nova. I started out with a Renault, you know. Um, so, uh, no, I, yeah, I wasn't... I'm not part of that culture, but I think a lot of being a photographer, it's about making the image. You're going to make that for... You see something, and you're going to get it. And that brings me back to riding on the subway over a year ago with several other photographers coming down from the Bronx Documentary Center, going back to Manhattan and into Brooklyn. And I was with this Jamaican photographer, Ruddy Roy, a highly acclaimed, wonderful photographer, Ratcliffe Roy or Ruddy Roy. And he saw that I saw something as we were in that subway car. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Kevin, you see it, you own it. And and I, you know, uh, it was just really interesting for him to perceive how I had felt there was a photograph that I wanted to make, and he was just encouraging me to go for it. You know, you see it, you own it. And sometimes you get into trouble. Sometimes somebody doesn't want you there. Mm-hmm. And um, and you, and then you have to balance. You know, how important is it to transgress a little bit into somebody's privacy or into this moment? Uh, to make the image, 
And, um, and so that's something a photographer always has to navigate. I am not Nepali, but I speak Nepali and I've lived in Nepal for many years. And so, and I've, and so in many ways, I'm more familiar with certain aspects or parts of Nepal than, than a Nepali who grew up in Kathmandu and was educated, say, at Harvard or at Oxford or uh, working in New York and comes back home to Nepal. And, and so there are all these different ways of sort of navigating um, uh, what, what your territory is, where you should be as a photographer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's a question that's it's a great question and um, and I think I just follow my eye. My eye is like a um, it's like a Geiger counter. Sometimes I'll get this 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 electrical energy from something I see, and then that's what drives me to step a little closer to where I can make an image. Well, I I I've not I I feel like we live in a in a moment you know besides this this kind of social media and the way that people are creating a lot of images, like there's a volume of images that people are creating on a regular basis and then sharing it. We're also living at a time where, you know, I feel like there's certain boundaries that have been kind of established or underscored that make, you know, some interaction, you know, as a photographer myself, you know, I'm much more aware of and thoughtful about what my impulses are to photograph. And so sometimes I won't take things because I'm like, I perceive that that situation could create some tension, like between, you know, who I'm photographing or who I want to photograph and myself. And that's not something that I necessarily want. So I, so I, I'm finding a little bit of license in what you're saying. Uh, Your, your colleague on the subway said, if you, you see it, you own it. So I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to em- embrace that more and, and hopefully find some transcendence in those moments where um, where I normally or rec- more recently would have some fear there. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. Well, thank uh, you. Have to thank Radcliffe Roy or Rudy Roy. I yeah. do. Yeah. So what did you do on 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 that day on the subway? Did you move? Did you take that picture? Did you? How did you operate in that situation? You know, I can't remember specifically what I was looking at or what I photographed, but uh, but I think of that encounter and I think of his words quite often. You know, when I'm in a situation, and I, and I, and it's, you know, it's always a matter of balancing. You know, do I go into a situation where maybe I'm not welcome, or you know, maybe this isn't right? If you're uh, at a very intimate uh, moment in someone's life, whether it be a a wedding or a couple sitting together or, or, you know, or a tragedy or an accident or whatever. Um, it's just hard to, you know, I'm not Ouija. I don't think you're Ouija, but Ouija is the guy who would, you know, back in the 1930s through 50s, step into whatever situation it was and elbow his way in and make a photograph, no matter what the impact was on who he was photographing. He was going to get that, that blood and guts kind of photo. I did, you know, one little encounter. I was at Central Park, and there was a beautiful uh, couple sitting at a table drinking wine uh, at Central Park, and and I just couldn't resist it. You know, they were so beautiful, and I took a, a candid photo of them. And he was photographing her as well, and then I, I looked at the photo, and it was just like so nice. And I and I just had to approach him, and so I approached him, and I said, I just 
took this nice photo of you, and if you'd like, I can email it to you. And they looked at the photo, and they loved it. And um, and they were so appreciative. And it was um, his wife's 40th birthday. And, and that photograph became the photograph that embodied the moment of her 40th birthday. Wow. And so now we, we correspond regularly by Instagram. Uh-huh. Uh, they're called the Married Travelers. Mm-hmm. You know, hashtag the Married Travelers. Mm-hmm. And I hear from them regularly. And they, it, yeah, so... So the camera can create connection as well. That's one. That's a wonderful story. I'll, I'll have to, uh, as I'm sure other people who are listening to this too, will have to go look look them up and look for that picture, particular in particular. What are you What are you working on now? Well, I'm working on a few things. Um, one is um, I have a, a book ready to go of, on Syria from 2003. Um, I was on a couple of assignments there back in October, November 2003. This was about half a year into the um, American-Iraq war. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I made a point to go to Syria because I wanted to see for myself what it looked like and also because, because of the incredible cultural and architectural legacy and history in Syria. So I was photographing uh, ancient architecture, early Christian, Byzantine, Roman, and Muslim architecture. And so I had the opportunity back in 2003 to spend several weeks and travel throughout Syria. And I photographed a lot of uh, monuments that are no longer due to the, um, due to the devastation of the war. And so I'm working on uh, producing a book of that work. It's all black and white, Hasselblad, medium format imagery. So that, you know, I hope will happen, um, come to print within the next year or two. Um, and then I'm also just going through the archive because I have, you know, 40 years now of uh, many projects throughout Asia, the U.S., New York, all kinds of things. And then uh, and on Friday or Saturday, the day after tomorrow, I'm going off to Mount Kailash as part of a pilgrimage expedition with the New School in New York. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'll be doing video and still photography uh, documenting the the landscape, the people, the sustainability of it all, and also the the spiritual resonance of the place as well. So uh, yeah, I've got got a few things to do. And does that does that last work that you're talking about in Nepal does that correct uh, sorry connect directly to other work that you've done there, or is this kind of a new body or, or like a new offshoot of the work that you've done there in the past? I uh, it's uh, it's both. It's both. It's it's an offshoot of what I've been doing, and it's also new work. We'll be there are a group of us uh, from China, India, Nepal, and the U.S., and we'll be traveling uh, from Kathmandu out to Northwest Nepal, and then we uh, fly out to the Northwest, and then it's about a week walk to the uh, Tibet border, and then we will be in vehicles part of the time, but then hiking also around Lake Manasrovar and Mount Kailash, and so for me it's. You know, I used to live out there in the Peace Corps for two years in northwest Nepal, so I know the villages. I know that world very, very well. But the unknowns is, you know, going to Mount Kailash, I've never been there. And also the group, the dynamic of this group of, mm. of various artists, social scientists, all on pilgrimage together. So there'll be a lot of learning and sharing resources with uh, everyone in the group. That sounds, uh, that sounds really exciting. I, yeah, I'm looking looking forward to uh, 
the five weeks ahead, definitely. Well, before we say goodbye, uh, I wanted to ask you, where can people find your book about New Mexico? Okay, well, the New Mexico book, the best place to go is uh, online to the uh, University of New Mexico Press. And I think if you go to the Museum of New Mexico Press, that that refers you over to the University of New Mexico Press. And that way, um, you're helping the press. You know? mm-hmm. Uh, you may spend a dollar or two more on the buying of a book, but uh, but it's always good to to help out independent presses who are who are doing good work and publishing important work. And let me just—I want to make sure that I understand this correctly. The Museum of New Mexico Press is separate from the University of New Mexico Press, or they're they're one and the same. Right, uh, Museum of New Mexico Press, I think, uses uh, the University of New Mexico Press as their sales uh, arm. Uh, and the Museum of New Mexico Press is up in Santa Fe, and um, and I don't know if they sell books directly or not, uh, but they produce beautiful books, you know, about the cultural uh, landscape of New Mexico. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for talking with me today. I, I learned so much from this. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Lorena. Thanks for being in touch. Thanks for inviting me onto your to your site. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.